Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. What up? What up? Welcome to Snark. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. I am inspired by our guest today on Snark Monkey number 17, um, who, despite the fact that he is also a suburban white boy, is way more funky than I am. It's Smoothie himself, Eric Schwartz. A uh, very funny stand-up comedian, parodist, parodyist, parodist. Yeah, I'm going to look that up online, make sure I'm getting that right. Uh, creates a ton of content on his own website, but also does the stand-up circuit. I've known him for years, and he has carved out a very unique niche for himself in the stand-up world, combining uh, hip-hop and music and, and, you know, almost like multimedia during his stage act. Man, he does some very cool stuff. There's nobody out there quite like him right now, even though you might hear some other, you know, like comedy rappers or whatever. But boy, does Smoothie do the trick. And he's constantly working. And as of today, depending on when you listen to this, of course, but as I post this, he should be returning from the Weird Ass Pajama Festival, a comedy festival in in Mumbai, India where he is traveling for the first time. And I can't wait to hear an update on that. So he talks a little bit about that as he was prepping for his trip, but we also talk about his upbringing in the suburban hinterlands of Southern California, how his how music influenced him, um, how he got into the comedic world, and how I was a major influence on his life. Oh, stop, whatever. No, but Smoothie is a great guy. you got to check out his website, check out his YouTube page, follow him on Twitter, uh, go see his shows. And I love hearing from stand-up comics who are just doing their thing, working, staying out there, putting out material. They haven't broken through to that next level on like a high profile in a high-profile way, but, but have their following and, and continue to grow. And I wish nothing but great stuff for this guy. Check out... Eric Schwartz here, Snark Monkey number 17. It's a fun one. Word. Give me a level. Yo, hey, hey, check, 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 check. Hey. That's probably the loudest I'll go. Well, you're good. You're a pro. I've done this. Um, I like, I'm, I'm learning on from the you. Mic- what? I learned from you because the last when I was here and I listened to the, the podcast we did on Friday. Yeah. And um, I was like, oh, his voice is very resonant because he's right up on that mic. Yeah. He's he's kissing yeah. the mic. You got to get up right up on it. Well, right I think there. these things also have some compression on them. So if you back off, it it loses you pretty quick. It's got like radio style compression on it, which is great if you do this. Okay, I've had more than a few people do exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Like just love. Uh, Bob Cushell came in here and 
he just did this for like 20 yeah. minutes. <laughs> it also lowers your energy, so I don't always... No, let's not do that. Yeah. No, no. Smoothie on the mic. Yo, 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 Larry Morgan. <laughs> there we go. Larry Morgan. What up, Eric Schwartz? Hey, this so, is... What? We're back. No, we're... Well, yes, you were part of the group cast on uh, Thursday, posted on Friday, and that was such a delight. I wanted to have you back. This is part of my... I've been... I've had this idea about doing this kind of young, up-and-coming comedians kind of thing, and to try and get you all in one room at the same time is like herding fucking cats. It's impossible. Uh, So I'm... I thought I won that podcast, and that's why I got to be here. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. Out of all those people that were in here, I thought, I won! That's your reward. I get to come along. Yes, you scored the most points. <laughs> so we'll we'll talk about you and 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 your stuff. Uh, okay. But you are about to do something remarkable that is top of mind right now. And um, depending on when we post this, I don't know exactly when. But you are about to go to frickin' India. Yeah, I don't think there's any further place I could go <laughs> for work. <laughs> You know, hey, a gig's a gig, right? Yeah. When you're doing stand up, yeah. And what is this? It's a festival. This is a festival. It's called the Pajama Comedy Festival. It's its second year, but I guess it was really, um, it was very popular because I've met Indian people that you know that are from India and that that are like now out of the country, and they're like, "Oh, you're going for the Pajama Festival?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> they're talking about." It. Yeah, they everyone knows about it. There. What city is it in? It's in Mumbai. And you've never been to? What's the furthest you've traveled for anything? Uh, I'd say. Have you uh, gone to Russia? The, okay. You've gone to Russia? Yeah. Russia. Have you been to Japan? I've never been no, to Asia. Never, never been to Asia. Never All been right, to so Asia. All right, so this will be your first Asian trip. Yes. Um, so what does it involve? In, well, I have many questions. So do I. So, Jeez. So I saw on social media you had many medications. Yeah, look. Oh, I just, this and is vaccinations? What, you know, I haven't been nervous about it until today. Because I went to the doctor. And when they started and poking then, you with needles? And they were like, okay, I thought I was just going to go get some like some stomach, some Pepto-Bismol or something. No! And no. they're like, so these are the diseases you could catch. You're too late to get inoculated for about half of them, but we'll, you'll be about 60% okay if we get you today. And look at like my arms. I got tracks on my arms. So what did the oh geez and band aids? What did they? So what did they inoculate you for? Both uh, sides. Yeah, both sides, dude. Yeah. Okay. This top one. That is. By the way, nice guns. Thanks, man. I try. I try. I try to stay lean. I try to have that Brad Pitt Fight Club. <laughs> Whatever. Body. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's your, it's going great. Brad Pitt Chess Club body. Uh, okay. And this is uh, this top one is typhoid. Uh-huh. And then this uh, bottom one is uh, hepatitis A. Yeah. And then this one over here on my other arm, that's the flu shot. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, if you're going to be poking me, you let's get that well. one in there you too. You might as well. The flu shot. Tomorrow I got to go back and get the polio because they didn't even have it. They were like the polio uh, booster. They, they still have polio in India? Yeah, I man. so. I mean, there's a bunch of poverty and, and people can't get vaccinated there. So uh, what are you missing they out? They got great Wi-Fi, but so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they got priorities. <laughs> they, they got they got five bars right. everywhere, but polio is kicking their yeah, ass. Polio, they're like, we don't need to stand. Uh, we, we can if we can get Wi Fi, we're good. So what are you missing out on? What are you not getting uh, that you could that, that you didn't that you went too late to the doctor? Uh, there was one that it's like if I would have gotten it, I can't remember what it was. Um, I just hope I don't catch it. Um, it's something like. 
meningitis or monoxicococcal. Well, that, oh, God, that doesn't know. sound good. I, none some, of those sound good. There are a couple cockalockles that I didn't <laughs> get or something. So did they, it, it, because you're not vaccinated or inoculated for those, did they give you advice on what, not, I mean, definitely yeah. don't drink the water. Do you have to avoid, like... What you can't have sex with a local? For what? sure, like that's really? like I already was that on the list. I'm like, thanks for doc blocking me, <laughs> <laughs> doctor. <laughs> I got doc blocked. So you can't have any fun on this thing. Well, hey, unless it's I, a fellow comedian. Yeah, and that's that's I don't want that because no. it's all dudes. So oh, uh, bummer. Yeah. Uh, so and I'm I, I'm spoken for at the moment. Oh, you have a yeah. okay. We'll get to relationships. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um. So anyway, I, I here's the other thing I would ask you: How do you prepare for the audiences in friggin' Mumbai? Mumbai? Well, I mean, do you did they tell you anything about how the crowd reacts and speaking English? I mean, well, it, everyone speaks English. That's there. the thing, though. Every other country speaks every language. Well, because they were an Indian, uh, there India was owned by the British, so sure. everyone. Oh, everyone speaks English. No, it's in their culture. Yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. just saying that uh, lazy Americans, we, we're forced to take another uh, foreign language. language class like in high <laughs> school and college. And we never – I took French. I couldn't – I could probably get, you know, can you bring me a fork, please, uh, out eventually. Maybe if I thought about it. And that's about it. Yeah. I mean, we're we're way lazy when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Most of them, I believe, speak Hindi and, and Indian. And, I mean, I'm sorry, Hindi and, and English. Right. But, uh, but So they told you no language barrier, and yeah, they, as far as content? The guy who hired me, or the guy who suggested me is a comedian, an American comedian who's in, with Indian parents, you know, so his he has Indian heritage. His name is Raj Sharma, and he's like, they're going to love everything you do. And I'm like, even, even the stuff I talk about being uh, br- brought up in a half-Mexican household? And uh, he's like, well, probably not that stuff. <laughs> And I'm like, wow, we found one border that Mexicans have not crossed yet, <laughs> India. Uh, but I wonder, like, what if they, like, I was thinking, like, what if, like, eventually they get Mexicans over there and they'd be like, don't, don't take our jobs. And they'd be like, why are you taking our jobs, bro? Why are you taking our jobs? Why are you taking our jobs? Anyway. <laughs> A major culture clash. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow, this but, is pretty wild stuff. Yeah. I just, it gets scared me, though. When I went to the doctor, that's what scared me. Because he was like, you get, we, you know. He goes, don't like, don't, don't drink any bottled water that isn't a brand that you know. <laughs> so, so some generic Indian or just like there's a yeah Punjabi Springs or something. <laughs> I don't know. Don't don't go don't, for that don't one. Don't drink that. Like because they could just bottle it. They could, you know what you don't know what that water is. Yeah. So I have to like it's just it is it strikes me it's going to be me. one of those situations where you're probably going to be in a pretty nice place. You'll be in a pretty nice hotel and you'll be able to you know eat normal food to a certain extent and then you'll walk a block and it'll be like oh my god there are people taking dumps in the street and you know and and cows walking around i looked up our hotel on the internet and literally you have google street view yeah they have like ultra google street view it's like on their balcony like of the hotel (laughs) like they took the car up there or something i'm like (laughs) how did you guys do this but you you look the first shot is like an awesome patio with like yeah. decadent fabrics and like all this stuff and then you just tilt the street view up a little bit so you can see the buildings that are around it and it is a shithole. <laughs> it's like an oasis in a shithole. Yeah. I I people who have taken trips on purpose to India come back changed. I mean they say yeah. they and it is 
it's just this crush of humanity, yeah. and you definitely begin to not take your shit so seriously. You yeah, know? you just become so much so grateful. Yeah, like look where we are right now. We're in we're in a radio studio with like glass walls. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, like right. state of the art equipment, and we've got. You know, we've got a Whole Foods yeah. a block away. We could walk over to El Pollo Loco and get yummy chicken if we wanted to. Yeah, yeah. make sure you you take your stomach pills for that though, because I've had some experience <laughs> oh, with that okay. that All El Pollo right. Loco. I'm like, <laughs> that particular one. When I All walked right. by it tonight, I was like, man, that place is like India. <laughs> I haven't even been there. Well, we're not. <laughs> well, we're definitely not going to get them as a sponsor now. Oh, we get sponsored. Oh, sorry. No, we don't. Uh, no, not yet. But I'm worried. About, I've crossed that off the list anyway. Okay. Okay. So let's go. Let's go yeah. back to your upbringing because you you mentioned it. Uh, you actually grew up in where you're Thousand Oaks. Is that I, uh, is your Wikipedia page correct? Yes, Thousand Oaks. Oh, you read my Wikipedia. Yeah, wow, I'm impressed. Yes, I'm actually surprised. I continue to be surprised by the number of people I've talked in this room. I haven't done that many podcasts, but. Um, so many creative people who I never expected to actually be from here, meaning Southern California, the Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles area, and almost everyone's been from here. Um, everybody from Ken Levine, who um, you know was, wrote on MASH and Cheers and all that, grew up in Woodland Hills when it was nothing but Topanga Plaza. Uh, uh, Bob Cushell, who you know, Lisa Cushell, and right. he grew up uh, out that direction as well. And you're from Thousand Oaks, and you've got these kind of valley residents who... Mm-hmm who experienced life in Southern California as a kid. Well, don't get it twisted. I grew up in the, su- the suburbs, and I, I, I used to call myself the suburban homeboy. Like, that's one that's of my, right. my that's monikers. Right. What I did was I grew up, uh, I loved hip-hop music, you know, breakdancing and all that stuff got me into hip-hop music. I became a DJ. I spent all my bar mitzvah money on DJ equipment. <laughs> And, uh, Seriously? Yeah, yeah. For real? Yes. That's great. My parents were like, you got to save it for college. And I'm like, I got to spin these records. <laughs> now, was there a crowd for it? Were you the only one doing this? Or did you have, was this little enclave of suburbanite kids who were, because uh, I remember my kid growing up in, uh, you know, Woodland Hills, going to school in sh- private school in Sherman Oaks and listening to Eminem on the way into school every day. Was this kind of... Uh, there was a group of you guys who were into that? Yeah, well, like the DJing and stuff. There definitely was like, this is when hip-hop started to emerge, like early 90s, first part of the 90s. Yeah, yeah. And hip-hop was like, was just starting to break into the big-time mainstream. Yo, MTV was crossing raps. over everywhere, yeah. Yeah, and um, so my my dad, the way that I like really got into the into something a little bit deeper than an average suburban kid would, um, my dad had a, a clothing business. Right, so he would sell ladies' clothing in a truck, and he would go around to office buildings. This is so weird. That is, this it, sounds like the 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 twenties or something. Some guy yeah. with a cart out on the street, you know, in New York or Lower <laughs> yeah. East Side or something. Really? Exactly. Yeah, it's a very. I I think it's it's a Jewish thing. Like it's <laughs> it's really because like my my grandfather sold clothing. You know, he sold men's clothing a haberdasher. You know. Yeah. And uh, my my dad was like, wait, but women buy more. And so he started getting like he would go downtown. That's pretty smart. Yeah, and get um, like clothing. the garment district and just exactly get, yeah. and get like and get and this is before like all these you know Ross Dress for Less and they were in the suburban areas. So he would go around to office buildings and the, these ladies would go out and sell their uh, buy their buy their stuff. And then on the weekends he would go to the city to sell off his odds and ends at like the swap meet. And I would go and help him. And this was like in Gardena. There's this, this famous swap meet called the Rhodium. They still do it uh, out in – there it used to be a drive-in. Yeah. And they, they yeah. and during the day, they'll have like a swap meet on the weekends. And um, so I would go out and help him. And right 
near where our stand was set up was this famed place called Rhodium Records. And Rhodium Records used to be involved with like NWA. And like if you look at DJ Quick liner notes, they thank this guy Steve Yano from Rhodium, Rhodium Records. Rhodium Records. Oh, wow. And that's where I got my records. So I would take the records from, from there, play them in the suburbs, and I felt like I was, you know, the Robin Hood of music <laughs> given to these poor suburbanites. Uh, they, would, they didn't know what they were missing, and I, would, I was the tastemaker of uh, Thousand Oaks. This, for, was like, you know. this was like the British invasion, like somebody, uh, you know, flying back from England with all these, yeah. you know, I've got these Beatles <laughs> records and this band called The Who nobody's heard from and bringing it back to the States. So, yeah. um, so you mentioned your, so your dad... Um, do you know what his background was? Did he come from like East Coast or is that whole thing? Was there like, do you know like how he got here or to this country and his his family, his side of the family? Well, my dad was born in Detroit. Okay, and and my grandfather, his dad, was born in Detroit. So his side of the family comes from Detroit. My mom's side comes from uh, Phoenix. So yeah, so we're we're from Russia. But uh, your mo- but your it, mom's cultural background is is uh, Lithuania Russian Jew. Okay, you know we're, that's what both of my sides of my family are. My parents split when I was one year old. I I I was so adorable. They had to uh, they had to split up. <laughs> that divorce. <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah, you were too adorable for too them adorable. to stay together. They're I've like, never heard that before. Uh, we can't hold, We can't be together and have this kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so who'd you live with most of the time? Uh, so I started living with my mom, and then I eventually went to live with my dad when I was about six. Yeah. Um, and uh, my both my parents remarried. My my uh, mom married this guy who's been a big part of like w- how I kind of like uh, why I'm into the Latin culture so much. My my stepdad is a um, Latin jazz musician. He's Mexican. He's, uh, you know, the the coolest, hippest guy. And so when when did he come on the scene? How old were you when the, when that stepdad kind of started having an influence on you? Do you remember? Around? Well, they were together when I was about four years old. I mean, as early as you can really remember, basically. Yeah. So for a yeah. long time. So, so yeah. his influence, his music influence gave you a whole different point of view on stuff right in addition to which maybe kind of opened the door to the hip-hop stuff right yeah kind of yeah but i always identified uh, if you see my stand-up like i do this thing where i with my i have this dual personality and i really do feel like that i have my glasses on i'm like nerd i take them off word you know what i mean like <laughs> right. wearing glasses tapping asses so I you <laughs> that comes from my parents so you always felt like you were straddling the the fence a little bit because my dad's side of the family or my dad is so corny and and like in a great lovable way. Yeah, you know, like my if you is, meet, is he the funny one? I mean, did or is every is who's funny? Every every parent in my family is funny. Both both step parents. Yes, everything. They're, they're both funny. Like my dad is like silly. He has a million catchphrases that he's made up that only he uses. <laughs> you know, he's like like what? He's like shy your shrugi, Fred Rugi. That's. <laughs> What the hell is that? It's embarrassing to say that out loud. We it, well, almost uh, everything our parents have has uh, ever said has been embarrassing. So I I get you on that. It's so stupid. It co- it it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. Yeah. We we had a family friend. I'm red, right? <laughs> we had a family friend <laughs> named Fred Rugi, and Shah in in um like Yiddish is means shh, like be quiet, yeah. like Shah, shut up, yeah. Shah. 
and he just wanted a rhyme. Like, sh- I don't know how he came up with it. He's just this weird. <laughs> like, he comes up with but this. But that's corniness. an example of the kind of stuff he yeah. would just say, and that would just be his his signature. Yeah. yeah. Or like he always goes like he like when he's eating something delicious, he'll go. Mmm, yumalicious. And you're like, what the hell? <laughs> how, old, how old is your dad? Uh, he's uh, just turned 68. All right. Yeah. So he's still got some life in him. He's still oh, going yeah. strong. He's hilarious. So, so when did you realize you were funny? Or when did you... I mean, because you talk, we talk so much about the music influence right here, which is a right. huge part of what you do, because you do the parody songs and the videos, and you've always had you know, rap and hip-hop as part of your act, and it's kind of what has made you unique. Yeah. But did that come first, or did being funny or being a class clown or being or make cracking up your parents and your step-parents come first? Where, where did that fit in? We always used to do shows for our parents. I don't know why we did them, but... You my have brother, siblings, right? Yes, my brother. Uh, I have an older brother. He's two years older than me, year and a half. Actually, a year, exactly a year and nine months apart. Oh, wow. Which means my parents got down at my <laughs> brother's first birthday party. <laughs> and I asked my mom well, about it. Well, you didn't it. have to. Yeah, I don't think you could probably nail it down to that day. I asked my mom. <laughs> I go, wait, we're a year. This is like about a year ago. I asked my mom. I go, wait, we're a year and nine months apart. Does that mean? And she's like, yeah, that's probably what happened. <laughs> Damn. I was like, oh, all this cake and ice cream got me feeling like we need another one. <laughs> we done so good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so obviously you weren't too adorable. They, they went ahead and had another. Yeah. The, well, I was the second. Yeah. I was the second. Oh, you say, I'm, I got you. Okay. I so see. my brother and myself and my, my sister, uh, who's six years younger than me, um, we would all like get together and plan these little shows. Right, we would coach my sister, who was like a baby then, to do like little cute Michael Jackson moves. Like, okay, when I ask you, do you like Michael Jackson? You say, do I like Michael Jackson? And then you do this dance. (laughs) (laughs) This is what my sister did to me. She was making me go out and and lip sync to Monkey's records and stuff like that. And I was just, I was, I was just going through with it. I she forced me to do all this crap. Yeah. So I guess so. You, your poor little sister. You want to impress your parents, right? I guess that's why you do it. I guess. Yes, yeah. yeah. But but you but there was this little bug of show business early on. For sure. Yeah. We and I think with the break dancing, actually break dancing just like through the youth culture at that time was it would make us automatically every kid wanted to break dance. These movies were coming out break breaking and uh, uh Beat Street and you wanted to that was your culture. That was your Pokemon at the time, right? <laughs> right. And every kid was like learning to spin on their head. So you're you're a show person from that just from the culture of being a kid yeah you're in a crowd you're you're trying to one up the other guy you're you doing it did you ever get involved in a dance off yeah i did did you i still do (laughs) (laughs) is it possible we might have one here today if you're down i'm down damn all right all right we'll see how this goes um because because I will be terrible, um, so, but do you do you have a memory? Mm-hmm. And I think everybody has this. Do you have the memory, whether it's as a child or uh, did you do like plays or anything like that? Were you involved in stuff like that at school? I was in chorus and like I wanted to learn music and stuff and and like my I was living with my dad and my stepmom and they I guess they at that time they didn't put me in music lessons and I I wanted to do it. I didn't realize like that I might have had like a you know, a talent for it 
really like I look back now and I go, oh yeah, I could have, I probably would have been really good if I would learn how to play piano. I still don't know how to play any instruments. It's just through, through like the, wanting to learn it and just and just sounding it out and like the 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 ideas in my head of of trying to type them out on a music right. Keyboard. So it just everything was just kind of by ear and yeah. and yeah. So so you always but, loved music, but you didn't necessarily have an outlet for that. Right. So, That's why the DJing came through. Yeah. It, and so was it being in front of a crowd? I mean, do you have this? kind of memory of doing something being somewhere being in that position of being in front of people where you went oh where it just kind of like i can make people laugh i can get people to kind of pay attention to me was there that moment oh man there's a couple moments yeah the first one i guess would be of like a com comedic performance that i did in front of people was a talent show and i was in second grade or third grade, second grade, or third grade. I think I did it both years. The same, the same act. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad wrote it for me. It was Eric the Clown. Oh no! And I dressed up like a clown, and he recorded, like <laughs> audio recorded, this like routine. Like he he narrated it, and I would act out and mime out what he was describing. And it was like he was a clown who could stand on one finger. First he tried five, and I would literally stand on my fingers, like. Under my foot. <laughs> and I eventually <laughs> stood on one finger. And huge <laughs> response, right? It was a big response. I, all I remember is there was a, my outfit was sagging around the waist, and we put a um, safety pin in it, and that safety pin opened in the middle of the performance <laughs> and was poking me. I remember that so well. And it was like the whole time I was like, oh, just do it for the show. This is show business. <laughs> you can't quit now, kid. Commit. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta commit. See? It was already in you. <laughs> yeah. It was already in you. And then I think the other time was I started getting into stand-up comedy as uh, a teenager. And I would love... Getting like, into it as, as loving... Like, who were you into? As a fan. I was, you know, totally into Saturday Night Live, Adam Sandler. And um, stand-up-wise, I loved Eddie Murphy and... Um, and Ender Dice Clay was was huge then, and um, Carlin. I liked Carlin and and um, and Robin Williams. Yeah, and I would I would like go to Blockbuster and rent their videos and watch them. Of course, and yeah. you were and all the that was around the time when HBO and the Showtime specials were really starting to kick in too, and so those things were popping up, and the young comedian specials had been on, and so comedy yeah. was really. Definitely oversaturated at that point. I think that was a time period where there were way too many clubs. Like every right. bar had a stand-up night or something. But there were guys who were really kicking. Like Andrew Dice Clay, I can only compare it to kind of the way Dane Cook had that rise of sure. auto, freaking auditor. I mean, huge venues. Yes. Big comedy. Big, big responses a lot of college age mm -hmm. um and you know they both kind of had that that bright flash and then it died down pretty quick but dice had that thing going yeah. on dice dice was huge and you know as a suburban kids we we just like we it, it was like it was wrong it was swearing and and we we loved it you know <laughs> and uh i saw actually i was with iceman who's been on your show yeah uh, a couple times and uh i was with him having lunch and Dice comes and sits next to us outside. And he goes, hey, fellas, you mind if I light up? And we're like, uh, we were going to ask you to. <laughs> He's like the only person I don't mind smoking. Yeah, as long as he does the lighter over the top of his head. Or yeah, yeah, his yeah. Back. yeah, exactly. I'm like, hey, do that thing right there. <laughs> and, but like, he was so polite. I'm like, yeah. Dice, you, you can smoke anywhere. <laughs> 
You're, you're dice. You're dice. You're the dice man. So uh, I'll, I'll finish what, uh, what the point of, of like in, the, in high school where, where it kind of came up. And then I have a not only a dice story, but a Dane Cook story oh, for you. Oh, sweet. That's very appropriate oh, good, to, good, good. to where we are. Uh, but, okay, so um, so I would recite these people's uh, routines to my swim team mates, okay? And they were like, you're hilarious. And I'm like, well, that's Eddie Murphy's bit. They're like, you're so funny. You should do stand-up comedy. And that made me, I go, oh, man, that's kind of cool. Maybe, maybe I could do that one day. And I started writing down my own thoughts. I started writing down my own bits. I, would, I was a huge Saturday Night Live fan. And I would, you know, do characters and stuff. I would imitate Dana Carvey and Mike Myers and stuff and, and, and try to do the characters like them. And then eventually I started writing my own stuff. And that's kind of how the formal stand-up started, you know. I would always been, like, the DJ at the school dances and stuff like that. Right. So I'd always be in front of a crowd and emceeing and, you know, dancing and, like, getting the, dan- getting the party started. So what was your first official stand-up gig? Official gig? Well, I'd say the first time I tried it yeah. was on a cruise ship with my family. <laughs> you just did you go up on a stage though? Yeah, yeah it was a, a talent show, like a oh, another talent show. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was a cruise ship talent show. My dad helped me again. Oh my god! My dad helped me write my jokes. Yeah, I was nineteen. How'd it go? Uh, the first joke was good. I got a good connection. The middle joke bombed. Yeah. It was a Nancy Reagan boob cancer joke, oh, and it no! bombed. Is that your dad's joke? No, that he was like, I don't know if you should do that, and I did it, and uh, I, he was right. Yeah. And then the third, the third joke was like a compilation of characters on the cruise ship. So that killed. Oh, that killed. I was just yeah. going to say, you make fun of people that are there. Yeah. That that are everybody recognizes, and you're gold, right? Right. Yeah. And, and I like it was what people, what things people were going through, and then I did these outrageous characters attached to the people they had already seen yeah. on the ship, and then I put these characters on them, and that that was really good, and people were were coming up to me like, "We thought you were so funny," and I was like, oh, "I love it," and I loved that like validation of like that instant laugh. And that, like, people were coming up and they recognized what I did. And then I went away to college right after that summer and I started doing uh, shows in the dorms. I would put together talent shows and I would be the host. And I would have anyone who wanted to sign up could sign up. And then everyone would come watch them. We'd have a packed house in the dorms and I'd have a chance to, to do comedy. And I hooked up with a piano player and he'd do songs for me and... So I think, like, definitely the music element has always been there for me. It's, yeah. it's, it's weird. I kind of eventually said to myself, you know, I love doing the DJ stuff. I love doing the comedy. How do I combine them? Right. And that yeah. also must have made you a little bit unique, too, so you just weren't a guy going up telling jokes, that it, that it made you stand out a little bit as, as a slightly different act, right? I mean, did for you sure. feel that? Yeah, that's not why I did it, but the, way, the reason I did I came up with this like weird hybrid that I feel like I mean, yeah nobody really does it because it's something that I it's just me you yeah know? yeah um, I read this book which changed my life and I recommend it to everybody it's called The Artist's Way very popular book you, do you know it? have you done I, it I it's on my nightstand and I think uh, Kyle Cease just brought it up to me uh, oh. last week yeah okay and it's one that I keep hearing about and I'm 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 just send it to me. I, it's like it's sitting there on my nightstand. It's the next thing I start reading. Yeah. I've done it several times. I, I think the first time I did it was around two thousand two thousand one, and um and uh that I it's it's not a book you read. It's a book you do. Yeah, it's it's basically 
it gives you tasks. It, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a, a workshop in a book, essentially. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's if if you really look at it, it's a twelve step program. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's twelve chapters, yeah. and it's uh, look at the chapters, and it's all because we all are. Uh, you know, I don't want to get all you know like no, philosophical here. I want, I want here, to but, though because this yeah. is what this is about. Because this is one of the things. This is why this podcast is almost therapy for me because yeah. I, you know I just I feel like. I, I I made the mistake of saying to Kyle the last uh, podcast that I was starting kind of this new phase late in life, and he's like, "Late in life is a belief," and it's like, "No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know my age, and I know that doesn't shouldn't hold me back. But there's so many things I feel like I've put off, and so I'm embracing this kind of stuff where I say yes to things and where I actually do put myself through the the what would have been scary before, even something as it sounds so stupid to say reading the artist's way intimidated me because I knew I was going to have to follow through on it. And now I'm like ready yeah. to follow through on it. So it, yeah, yeah, get, get airy fairy all you want. I don't know if I told Kyle about this book. I might've told Kyle about this book. I might be wrong, but I know, I remember Take when Kyle, for it, man. when Kyle was starting his, um, his new journey in life, which I totally am. I'm totally like in awe of. It's really cool. Yeah. And people should go but, listen to yeah. that podcast to understand he's, he's, He's dropped off the radar as far as mainstream comedy goes, but he's doing these pretty phenomenal workshops and 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 one on ones and these. He's calls himself a transformational comedian. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he's thinking about getting back into you know the mainstream world a little bit now that he's kind of gone on this thing. But yeah. uh, but but tell me about your experience with it. So the artist way, what it does is is. First of all, you're writing every morning. You have to write every day, three pages, the, the morning pages. And you it, that just gets your mind just thinking all all the time. You know, like it greases the wheels in the morning. It gets your, your BS out, like the stuff that you've been telling yourself. You just write it on the paper, and then about a, a page and a half in, you're like, this is dumb. And then you start writing, like, healthy stuff. It's weird. It's It just happens. If really? you just let yourself, you just let yourself, you do not censor yourself. and. Yeah. You just write. It's and just a way of unloading the baggage of the day exactly. that I feel like we all wake up with. Yeah, right. You do, because I know I do. Yeah, you totally. And it and it gets you. It gets you in the right frame of mind. I make to do lists sometimes. Like I'll think, of, oh, gotta go to the bank, and I put that at the top of the margin. Get that out of the way. So then, even not even am I. I'm not trying to write anything brilliant. I'm just trying to get my mind right. That's all it yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that it does is it mines your thought process of why do you think, how you think now like what what made you think this way what were the experiences that you had when you were a kid uh or you know in your formative years that made you what you are today why do you think that and how can you reverse that thinking if it's not helping you so oh, wow. you know like we all have these they call this the sensor right so the sensor tells you um you're too old for this right so you write that down i'm too old for this <laughs> and then what's the re- what's the response to that that you like okay i'm perfect for this because i have more experience did you didn't you see that um you know a lot of people are standing up for for older people now because they have more experience and by the way you're not really that old <laughs> you know like i was i was actually writing i'm have a birthday this friday and i'm gonna t- i know i was a little embarrassed uh when we talked oh, about last, oh yeah when we did our group podcast it's my big birthday it's the big one it's a big it's the 40th birthday well but see, but nobody would ever know that looking at you nobody would or know. listening to you, and it, but, and it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. I, I and I told Kyle this story too. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I, I, 
Like I, I, I spent years working at this job in here at this company called Premier, uh, you know, scouting improv people and looking for other comedy talent when we had a real, you know, robust comedy department. And I was going to New York and I was going to UCB before they even had a theater out here. So I, I saw like Ben Schwartz and Adam Pally and those guys doing their stuff and the original four who started UCB. And I, and I remember at the back of my mind going, God, I'd love to go up there and do that. And just just squashing that, you know, just yeah. pushing that back. So I can't remember, three or four years ago, I just decided I'm just going to go take those classes. And I knew I was going to be the oldest guy in the room, and I was just did it. And and nobody cared. <laughs> nobody cared. Nobody cared. You know, it was just like, that's right. the whole point of that was just embrace everybody in there, and you kind of learn to support each other, and it, and it doesn't matter what your background comes from, and it just matters that you're doing the same that they're doing. And... uh God, it was just like this weird fear to get over, just to go take Improv 101, yeah. and then I freaking loved it and flourished and jammed through all four and take advanced study, and I know, and I just met so many cool people, and it wasn't about going on to be this great improviser. It was really just more to just immerse myself in that world, and it just built up so much more confidence yeah. in everything else I was doing, in my radio work, in my writing, in talking to people one-on-one on just in person doing this and listening and and supporting what they're doing i mean you know I, i've done i've done i've done three of the ucbs i got to do one one more yeah. and yeah you're right it's like there's so many more reasons to do it than you even imagine yeah yeah and, and that's just one example of just kind of embracing that stuff that you just kind of i don't know why i push it to the back and that and that's why the artist way i think i'm going to i'm going to go through that is because i still feel like there's an untapped resource of potential that i don't want to look back and go ah shoot you it'll know? just get you so clear yeah you know that's what, I mean? what it is i yeah. think i it i think it's trying to kind of narrow down you know get get all the 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 distractions away so yeah. that I can hone in on that. So, to, yeah. but let's talk about you. How yeah. did it affect? <laughs> how did it impact you? Okay, so as far as like getting my show together, it uh, it I went to myself once, and I, as I said to myself, if I could dream any show that I wanted to do, what would it be? And I'm like, I love when that feeling of when I'm DJing and the party is just rocking and the dance floor is just kicking ass. And I got them jamming to this music, right? And I love when in stand up when they're they're like they're laughing so hard. Like, how can I combine those? If I could have it, my show would be like a party. If I could do, it'd be the most fun people would have sitting down, right? And it would be like feeling like you're at this concert or feeling like you're, and that's the show that I designed. Yeah. And since then, like you know, I I did that show and I put put it out on my my DVD, um, my my special that's called Surrender to the Blender. Um, and, uh, cause I, I, I hope people get it like, cause I'm smoothie, right. And surrender to the blender <laughs> and I'm blending different kind of styles together. Hopefully, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, Oh, I got it. You we got all, it. We all, all get right. it. You're yeah. one of the hip people. All yeah, right. That's right. Good. Good. Yeah. Some people are like, um, why is it a blender? <laughs> What's with the blender? Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Not everybody gets everything, and uh, but you, but the, the interesting thing is that you created a persona for yourself, and also this kind of world around it. I mean, you created it too. I want to tell you that. What? Huh? Yeah. What? Smoothie is right. directly a, a product of a Larry Morgan request. 
There's a show that I did called the, the Rhythm Countdown with Ellen K. That's right. I was working at Premier Radio here, and uh, Larry was my boss. With the coolest boss you could ever have. No, stop. And uh, I know you were, hey, I don't work for you anymore. And I can say that. Yeah. And I say that now. That means it's yeah, true. I can't do anything for you. All right. I know, right? I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he goes, We want to put you on this. You know, we like your, your little raps that you've been doing. Maybe we could put you on this show with Ellen K. But think of like an air name. And I, the way that Smoothie came up was I was like, there was this rapper named Smooth B who mm-hmm. was in Nice and Smooth. And I was like thinking of all these rapper names. And then I go, Smooth B. What? Oh, Smoothie. I like to drink smoothies. My name's Eric. And this is the dumbest name I could think of. It's going to be hilarious. <laughs> it was magic. And that's how I came up. It, literally the dumbest name I could think of. The awesome thing about that is that nobody listened to that show. But it w- couldn't have been better <laughs> training ground for you to just kind of come in there and be forced to do something every week. I mean, that was yeah. what was so much fun about it because, fa- frankly, I mean, I, I love Alan Kay to death. She's still working with Seacrest to this day. Yeah. She's great, but she needed uh, the camaraderie of this kind of party going on, and that's oh, what so we're fun. trying to create in, in that room. That's, at least that's what I wanted to create. But yeah, you... You, I, I mean, I just kind of saw you lit up. You didn't mind coming in every week and, oh, and doing this it. stuff, and it was so much fun. That was so. It was that was a great, and I didn't know until now that nobody listened to it. But <laughs> <laughs> no, somebody. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, it, look, it wasn't a hugely popular show. We were doing it as a as a as a thing for her, and yeah. it was on station. So yes, people, of course, heard. Yeah. It. yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it just wasn't going to be winning an award, any awards or anything. But I'm just glad we we had the chance to kind of create that environment. I loved it, and yeah. I loved what you were doing. It was great. I mean, it really you you just nailed it. Like it gave me a chance to to do some stuff. And I listened. I've listened to some of the stuff that I did on that show, and some of it was garbage <laughs> that I can't believe you let on the air. <laughs> Like someone like, what am I thinking? No, it was good, but you were but, you were developing a, a yeah. character. You know, we're developing a persona, and it was great for what yeah. it was. And you were like madly in love with Ellen Kay, yeah, and you yeah. were like you sent out these little rap Valentines to her every week. But that was a blast. Yeah, it was fun. Some it, of, and then some of it you listen back. I listen back. I go, okay, I I can see. And you saw the germs that. of germ of stuff. Germs. You saw the, the germs. Speaking of Indy, you saw the germ of something that kind of developed. You know, later sure. on, because sure. basically we saw that. Because Become a huge part of your act at that point, and I mean, when when did you decide I got to go and pursue this full time? Um, because it took it 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 took a decision, right? I mean, you yeah. had to go. Yeah, this is the thing that I'm going to do. And how did your parents respond, by the way, when when you said you were going to be a comedian and that was your job? They they knew like when I was in college. Seriously, yeah, because I I entered this contest in the valley here um, called the funniest person in the valley. I was still in college, and I would drive back from Cal Poly where I was going to school like twice a week because this contest was like had rounds and stuff. And I was for a while coming back twice a week to do this contest, and I ended up taking second place over like. I don't. It was like a 13 week contest, and I got second place out of like a hundred comedians or something. And so they were like, "Oh, well, maybe you know, you you could do this." You remember who got first place? Uh, uh Mike, Mike, some um, dude. I want to say his name was like Mike Le- Levy or something like that. Hmm. Mike Levy. But I met some like good people in from doing that. I met this guy Vic Dunlop, who oh, is yeah. you know Vic Dunlop. Oh yeah. He he's since passed. Um. The nicest guy you could ever meet. Really good stand-up. S- such a good guy. He was he. If you remember, he would put these like um, weird eye things in his eyes, like these like uh, white uh, little discs in his eyes, and then 
he would he would go like this is, I wear these things and the cops pull me over they go have you been drinking and he goes only coffee or something like that I remember what his joke was <laughs> you know it, it, he's he was a great guy and he really liked to nurture like n- like up and coming talent he was really like a mentor figure and uh he was he he wound up I don't know how he got this gig but he was the producer of the morning show at Power 106 with the Baker Boys oh wow and he brought me in to do characters after seeing me at that thing. And so that's how I kind of got into radio. Um, there was a woman named Louise Palenker, who I you think you've mentioned on this show. Who, mm, absolutely. One of the, the founders of, of uh, Premiere. And uh, I I asked Lisa Cushell, Bob Cushell's... Um, sister. Uh, sister. Yeah. Is it a sister? Yeah. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, I, th- I didn't... Okay. I didn't know. Okay. Lisa, I didn't know if that was his, her, her dad or what. No, Bob, Bob Cushell. No, Bob. Yeah, Bob's, Bob's her, her older brother. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I met her after doing one of those rounds of the contest, and she said, you you should talk to this woman, Louise Planker. I go, the, my two loves are radio and comedy, and uh, how do I get involved with that? She goes, she told me she did voices for, for Premiere Radio, and I go, how do I get involved? And she said, you got to talk to this woman, Louise Planker. She does this show at the Laugh Factory. Uh, you should just go over there and say hi. And I go over there, and I told her, my two favorite loves are radio and comedy. I want to work for you. She gave me a, a job recording comedians at the Laugh Factory. Laugh Factory, right? Yeah, and so that's how I got involved with you guys. And and uh, by the way, uh, this is a perfect time to stop and yeah. ask for your Jamie Masada impression. Buddy, 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 <laughs> you're brilliant, buddy. We love what you do. We see you on stage. You do three minutes. You blow us away. Everybody love you. The the bartender love you. The staff love you. Don't come back. <laughs> Don't come back. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> now, I got to give credit to somebody who wrote that, yeah. and that's this guy, Andy Wasif. But I always thought that's like the best. That's, he's, that's in he, a that's nutshell. What, yeah, that's what he said. It's, yeah. He's a great guy. I love, I love, uh, I love Jamie. He's given me some really Oh, Jamie's great a classic. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, but everybody's got that impression. Like, everybody at SNL has their Lauren Michaels impression. <laughs> everybody who's ever done stand-up at the Laugh Factory has their Jamie impression. Buddy, and we're some... going to give you something. You come down, and we're going to feed uh, people on Christmas Day. We're going to have a great time, buddy. <laughs> he's, a kind, he's a kind gentleman. So, yeah. um, so tell me about what stand-up is like now. I... It, it, you strike me as one of those guys that decided you were just going to be able to carve out your own niche and you were going to create your own business. I mean, obviously you would you want to get like the best-selling CDs and you want to get the 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 specials and you want to get on TV and stuff, but but how do you weigh, you know, focusing focusing in on that versus just trying to make a living. I mean, you are a working comic, right? right. That is that is your living. Period. Yes, uh, that and any opportunities that I get from from doing entertainment, such as like voiceover or hosting right. or acting, or you know, um, I do I do a lot of content creation. So, are, for, are you? I mean, do you do like the college circuit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I see you're on your website. You're traveling all over. You're you've got obviously somebody booking you. You know, booking you a gig somewhere. Yeah, but you also have created this kind of other thing. You know, you're creating content. You're putting these videos up. Yeah, you're not making any money off those, are you? Uh indirectly. Uh, no? Yeah, directly and indirectly. So on YouTube, you know, you can become a partner and you and you can make revenue you know, from the ad share that you have with them. We have a, par- a partner deal. 
and I'm part of uh, I'm part of a uh, company called Maker Studios, which is like a multi-channel network, and they they have my channel and and uh, but what you make, what I get from YouTube and putting up content is more of a marketing thing. Like th- you don't make huge amounts of money on directly from YouTube unless you're one of the top, right? You know, like getting a million views per video. But you see it as a way to kind of yeah. raise your profile as a comedian. Oh, sure. So that then more people will know about you and want to come out and see your show. I mean, that basically exactly. it's as a marketing tool, you're saying. Exactly, right. Yeah. So, you know, like there's been videos that I've gotten tons of work from. Uh, it's It was easier in the past from, you know, to get to get seen online. Um, because everybody, the, you know, well, the, everybody's doing it now. Right, everyone's doing it yeah. now. And so, you know, it's a little harder, but it's still it's still worthwhile. You know, it's still, you know, you know I always say when you're looking for views, you don't need a million people to see it. Sometimes you only need one person to see it. Oh, listen to that. You know, that's pretty that zen. like something right out of the artist's way right You know what I'm there. saying? <laughs> I've gotten gigs from just one person seeing that's it. That's all it takes. Yeah. Um, well, sometimes that's kind of, I, I, we've talked before about, on, again, on this podcast, the, the interesting thing that comes up to with people who have reached a certain level is um, kind of that accidental thing that happens that puts you in a place that you didn't expect to be, and suddenly that's, you know, your stepping stone kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is like having that champion, that, that person who finds you and goes, Oh, and puts you on a path that gets you much closer than, than you would have gotten without that person's help. Uh, you know, sometimes it's luck. And sometimes, like you said, it's just the right person seeing the right thing at the right time. Yeah. Does that resonate with you at all? I mean, is it kind of, I mean, you talked about me, obviously. I'm yeah. A, I'm a huge, a huge factor influence and in huge uh, mentor and champion. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think like, yeah, you, it, when you, when you find a winning team, that's like a good way to, you know, you, that means you fit in with that team and, and you're, you're giving them what they need. They're giving you what you need. And so like, if you find that winning team, like that's a valuable thing. Um, I also feel like there are times when you get discouraged like you go, oh, I put this video out, spent all this time on this video, and I've got no views on it. But you have to remember, like, yeah, dude, that's your job. You know, you got to put that stuff out. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't, you know, you, maybe you released it uh, a little bit late. Maybe that, you know, right. a day your late. Timing, time is just not exact. Because you're doing a lot of stuff that you're trying to stay topical, but also keep the production value high. And that's right. really hard to do is to, you got to pick that topic. Like w- with your parody songs and stuff, you're trying to pick some, obviously some of them are seasonal. Right. Uh, and you do some Hanukkah stuff that's great. But you're also trying to kind of connect them to the zeitgeist, if you want to use that word, or, sure. or uh, whatever's timely. And... But you also put a lot of effort. You want those things to look good. You, you strike me as somebody who's taken a little more time in production value than the typical kind of YouTuber who will just get it up as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I've actually, you know, some people have told me, like, don't put so much into your production. And, you know, there's they have, they have a, a point. You know, like, sometimes I do, I do think about quality a lot. And it may be to my own detriment sometimes. Yeah, but know? that strikes me as kind of like like the Lonely Island guys. You yeah, know, yeah. it's like they put so much into making their stuff look like what they want it to look like. Sure. And, and I think that that, you know, right now, a, a billion hits will go to a, a kitty video that somebody shot on <laughs> on their phone. But that's I not should what... get a cat. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Maybe, I should get a cat. Maybe you need more cats in your videos. I did write something once uh, about I was an agent for cats. <laughs> 
that were just getting the hits yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, I was the agent. <laughs> <laughs> but what? Yeah. But 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 from the standpoint of just being out there, the old fashioned being on the road, having yeah. to go up in front of people. I mean, that's still what it takes. Yeah, that's like bread and butter for sure. That's it. it you have to if you're going to be a and that has a chance. I mean, there's just a that's just a classic structure. You have to go out and be in front of people, and you have to do those do those gigs. Yep, you have to go. I mean, if you're starting, if you want to be a stand up comic, you have to do it. If you want to be a writer, you have to do it, and you just keep doing it and keep doing it until people recognize it. The good thing about stand-up is you're in front of people all the time that see you and that could potentially hire you. So when you're doing stand-up and you have a great show, people are like, oh, that guy will fit whatever need I have. And so your best marketing and your best agent and your best manager is just doing a good job at your job. You know what I mean? That's Sometimes we make it out to be harder than it really is. Yeah, yeah. It's just do a good job, put it out, and it will be recognized. You know, sometimes you could just put put it down to that simple, simple thing. So, but what's the goal? I mean, now now yeah. you've got because look, you brought it up, and and no matter whether you recognize it or not, you can't help but think of that birthday that you just mentioned. Yes, yeah, the the, the number that we shall not speak of. Okay, um, it still is a milestone. It still makes you think. Yeah, it does because you're not a kid. Um, and yet you still have this great kind of persona of, you know, being in a different, I mean, you, you, you're able to kind of straddle the line for sure. People, you come off as younger than you are, but you personally, you must be thinking, but what's that next level? So what's the goal? What's, what do you think you should be doing next? Yeah. Uh, how do you turn this yeah. into something? Is it still doing stand up? Is it still hitting the clubs? Is it going I, to the colleges? I would like to have my own podcast on the Snark Monkey <laughs> Podcast Network. <laughs> oh, my friend, you have said the magic words. <laughs> my dreams just came true just now. You heard it. Uh, well, no, television. Well, hey, by the way, I would do that. Uh, Hell, te- let's talk. All right. Uh, television and movies. I have, you know, I have. Some movie ideas and some, um, you know, some uh, somebody wrote a TV pilot for me that I, you know, don't know what to do with. Uh, you know, I've sent it to some people and I think it's great. And um, this guy, this guy just wrote this thing for me, and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I think it's it's really funny. It totally ties into what I do on stage. It's it's great. Um, but definitely, like, I want to blow what I have up. You know, like any comedian does. Um, but having a could show. That, could that, does it mean television, whatever television means these days? Mm-hmm. Or, or is, would it be enough? Would you be satisfied if you were a really solid, constantly working stand-up for another 10 years? If you got bigger venues or if mm-hmm. you continue to stay on the road, would you, be, would, would you be happy doing that? If I become India's biggest comic? <laughs> <laughs> if I surpass Russell Peters as the king of India? <laughs> Russell Peters is the king of India? Russell Peters is the king of the world. Oh, wow. Russell Peters is the most famous comedian in the world. In Seriously? The world. It, oh, yeah. So why am I looking at you with a big question mark about Russell Be- Peters? Because the I mean, title, I know the name, yeah. but I don't think I've ever seen him do stand-up. Because the title of his uh, current U.S. tour is Almost Famous. <laughs> he's famous. He's the World Cup of Comedy. That's what I call him. He's the World Cup of Comedy. He's the biggest thing in the whole world. But in the U.S., he's just catching on. Really? It's weird. It's a weird thing. 
and uh, he was at the Santa Barbara Comedy Festival, LOL Comedy Festival, which I was I was like the man on the street, the the face right. of the festival this year. It was really fun, and he had his uh, he had a show there. He kicked off his tour there, and I interviewed him, and he goes, "Yeah, I, I'm like soccer. Like he's said that himself, <laughs> and um, and so." You know, he. Th- I think. Is he really good? Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. Who else out he's there? Great. Who else out there right now? You feel like? I mean, kind of on that up and coming level uh, that you're seeing a lot that you think might be besides Eric Schwartz, who might yeah. be the next big thing. Uh, and Russell know, Peters. Everyone says. Everyone talks about Gerard Carmichael, who's hmm. a great guy, and I know him. And you know, some you know his HBO special came out this year, and there was mixed mixed reviews. Big mixed reviews. I I love the guy. I think he's hilarious. He's much newer than anyone you would you would think is is uh, is like the guy people are talking about. But but um, you know he's he's really funny. He's very like different than um, than a lot of people. I think this guy Dave Chappelle is uh, <laughs> got a great chance. Um, Do you still funny. see are 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 kids like you still coming up and trying it? Is because you know my experience in radio, for instance. Yeah, yeah. I just don't see. There's nobody ever comes up to me and goes, "How do you get in the radio?" It's just not a thing right now. It's just the 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 media and the culture and just that kind of interest in that mystery of that has waned. I know it's it's two yeah. different things. I think there's so much. I think radio has changed to something else that's just yeah. called something else. Yeah, radio is now podcasts. Radio is is now yeah it's it's spread out over so yeah, many different there's so things. much there's so much right. stuff there's so much like it's just it radio has always been theater of the mind right and, sure and it's it's uh, a show with your voice well I I look at the popularity of that serial podcast that, that came from NPR which, yeah yeah um, became a touchstone even for people who weren't listening to it they they knew about it and they heard about it and that's ju- basically just storytelling i mean yeah. it's 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 one story that could have been told on a dateline episode in an hour right and they dug into characters and told the story and and it's just was just people talking yeah and i like to think that maybe people are coming even i talked about this with kyle the other day too i hate to keep bringing this stuff back up but even the just the success or at least the artistic success of the movie boyhood which is just so real and authentic and kind of from a real place, but also not a typical dramatic structure of a movie. I like to think that maybe we get away from the quick hit and and, and the appeal of the social media with the snarky comment, despite the name of this podcast, <laughs> um, that there's also something that comes back around to something like this, just having real conversations, just actually yeah. kind of digging in to what, makes us tick a little bit yeah i think it's it's a it's a really interesting format because you know with podcasts because you can get in depth with something and you can really like learn about a person it's weird that i'm saying that and i'm doing it (laughs) (laughs) so meta (laughs) it's true it's true but that's why i listen to podcasts i i that's what i got into too and i found them inspiring i I, just hearing other people go through similar feelings as right. I did, and then just being able to laugh about their own stuff. Do you, so the, really, the question I asked you, though, is is do you see kids coming into stand-up in the same way that you kind of came into it? Do you see them, is, is, that, is it still perpetuating itself as a business and as a, a an attraction out there? Yeah. yeah. There's so there's definitely an explosion of, of it's comedians It's a lot of it's right happening now. right oh, now. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like things like The Nerdist, 
you know, Chris Hardwick's um, yeah, theater. Yeah, that, that crew like, at the Meltdown. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because that's coming on real strong. Yeah. And then you've got the more kind of corporate side of things, which is the improv chains mm-hmm. that still seem to be doing very well. Oh, they're doing great, yeah. yeah I mean, and, and people are still going. Comedy yeah. Store still exists here. Laugh Factory, we mentioned with Jamie, still going strong. I mean, they're, they could be tourist attractions, but some of the smaller venues are starting to come on. And yeah. I see I see the improv world building all these indie shows all over the place. Yeah, it, there's so many, like, it's just, it's just I, I heard somebody, it was listening to a podcast today with uh, Rob Schneider was saying yeah. that um, it wasn't his podcast, it was um, someone else's podcast, but um, it, it was, uh, he was saying how it's a golden age right now of stand-up. Really? Yeah, because we've had... Some really great teachers, like from George Carlin to Richard Pryor to Eddie Murphy to all, you know, Chris Rock to all these people who, you know, and now even like Chris Rock and Seinfeld, they're they're still at their at their at their um their peak. And Louis you know? doing and what Louis, he's doing, and like you I mean, got really, Aziz Ansari, I mean, yeah, 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 all yeah, these guys. Yeah, there are really good, solid guys doing yeah. doing stand up right now and doing it on their own terms. I guess maybe it, yeah. it, it, it's it's not the even even guys who seem fairly traditional like Brian Regan, anytime he pops up. Oh yeah. I mean even the most like cynical, jaded, been around forever comedians will point to Brian Regan and Jim Gaffigan and those guys who work really clean and who've been doing kind of similar material forever, but they're strong and they continue to generate new stuff. And and the, look, they make you laugh. I mean, it comes down to that. Yeah. If they make you laugh, it works. And it's it's definitely like music. It's like it, stand up is so much like music that, but people don't define it that way. Yeah. Because people think that if if this makes me laugh, it's funny. If it doesn't make me laugh, it's, it's not, not funny. funny. But it's a musical taste sometimes. Oh, you know? I think people are that way about music too. Yeah. It's like, how could you not like that? I mean, it, it's yeah. it definitely can be very polarizing if you like something and you don't understand why somebody doesn't and why you when you asked me you asked me like who are the the good really good up-and-coming comedians there's so many like that's why it was hard for me to i kind of just told you what people are saying yeah it's not even necessarily i do think you've seen you've seen young people who are like strong oh there's i mean not even necessarily age age young yeah maybe that that you have not heard of or seen perform live, but there's so many. I mean, I perform every night of the week, and there's like people, people that like blow me away every night of the week. And I mean, there's That's so good. many to name. That's good. Just go look at the wall at the comedy store and look. You know, the, all those names that are written up on the wall on the comedy store. Just like go look them up on the internet, and you'll you'll be fine. For yeah, I, I mean, I think we need that. I I can't. I wish I could credit whoever it was that said it, or they credited whoever said it, but somebody said. That right now the comedians are the new philosophers, and I I think that having seen the success of things like The Daily Show, oh and, yeah, uh, and uh, Colbert, which you know to win Peabody's as a a parody of you know yeah. a satirical character, uh, but those are the guys that are digging into the real issues and being able to present it in a way that people can take it, and, and also at the same time having to be funny, and I think if maybe this is the new era where comedians coming in are having something to say. Whereas in that kind of heavily saturated area, maybe that early 90s period that we were talking about, where it was just a lot of hacky jokes and Airplane a lot of... Airplane food <laughs> and all that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And um, it would be nice to see that people are coming up, coming in with a, a point of view and are really kind of 
digging into stuff. There's so much like available to us now. Like I started putting multimedia in my in my show now. You know, like it's evolved. I'm trying to take advantage of of all we have to offer, and I call I call it uh, multimedia. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, you have such a way with words, Eric Shorts. I, I started. I don't put, get it, but uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you no, don't I'm get kidding. it. I'm kidding. Oh, like the surrender <laughs> to the money. Uh, but I do like a PowerPoint presentation now like there's you know in my and then you can launch i found out you can launch in in the keynote uh app uh which is like powerpoint you can launch videos so that i started doing uh performing live to the video so it's it's like there's so much cool stuff like i can take pictures of stuff that that you know to to put like a visual aid of this thing that i saw and then and talk about it at the show and it's so. You know, are you able to do this at, at most of your venues that, that yeah. you, they can adapt to what you bring? Yeah, some um, some of them I can't. Yeah, but you know, um, some of them I can. And like, I'm trying to work it out for India right now. Like, do I'm going to India, and they're like, what, "What?" I hear they have great tech support. Yeah, they have. I'm going to the motherland. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wrote a sketch that. I, okay, okay, all right. I need your audience's feedback on this. All right. Because this is what this is what I'm doing in uh, India. I wrote this. I don't know why I did this, but in like 2009, I wrote this Bollywood version of Mr. Roboto. You know the stick song? Yeah. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. And I was like, well, now the new tech capital of the world is India, so I should make a Bollywood version of it, naturally. <laughs> So, <laughs> of course, why so, nobody's thought of that? Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't understand. So six years later, I have the <laughs> opportunity to go to India. And I'm like, wait a minute! I got just the song to shoot over there. So I'm making a video. I hooked up with this, this company called Kyuki. You're going to make your sticks slash Bollywood video, yeah. in India, yeah. Oh. And we're and so the sketch is the the way that I I I'm this text. I'm, I'm a call rep. Call service with the number one call service rep in the U.S. And I'm I'm going to India because I'm ready for the big leagues. And I go, man, I go to the boss and I go, I was the number one call service rep for nine out of ten years in a row. He goes, what happened to the dent ear? And I say, oh, I had to get a robotic ear put in because I went deaf in this one ear. And they go, wait. He goes, wait, is it the Loadmaster 5000? I go, yeah. How do you know that? He goes, know it. I invented it until my idea was stolen by this American company. I would have revolutionized the call industry. And I said, well, man, I feel so bad. I wish I could make it right for you. He goes, maybe you can. How do you feel about having a few more surgeries? And then, <laughs> then the lights flash. <laughs> it's, it's like we're in Frankenstein's lab. And I emerge as... A smartphone with appendages and a head, <laughs> and I am Mr. Roboto. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? Oh my God! Yeah, I want to see this. Well, at the end, I get replaced by a better version of myself. Of course, you know, two point oh, two point <laughs> Yeah. All right, so yeah, I want to hear yeah. the dice story and the Dane Cook story. Oh well, the dice story I told you. Where okay, he, so he asked us if he could light up. He, he could light up. And the Dane Cook story is very appropriate for where we are. We're here in Sherman Oaks at Premier Radio Networks, and uh, through my job at Premier in like '97 or something, uh, I started com- recording comedians at the Laugh Factory. And one of the comedians I loved, I always wa- loved to watch this guy was Dane Cook. He would kill the crowd like nobody else. And I studied him, and I watched how to do it from him. And he was and just kind of coming up. I mean, they were featuring him a lot at the Laugh Factory because I think Jamie saw 
what this guy could be, right? Yes. He was becoming a big draw. Huge, right? yes. And he, yeah, he, he was a big draw. He was doing colleges and people were loving him. And he had just moved out from New York. And uh, one, he knew that I recorded comedians. And he came to me one day and he goes, hey, I'm going to go to the Laugh Stop in uh, Houston, Texas. And they have a DAT machine and they're record all my shows and I want to make it into an album. Can you help me edit it? I go, yeah, you're like my favorite comedian. So he got all the DAT tapes. He came here to Premier Radio Networks. We went in Studio C on the fifth floor <laughs> and we cut his first album, Harmful of Swallowed, right here. Are you serious? Yep. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a little little piece of comedy history. Dude, that's pretty wild. I was never credited. No? And has he <laughs> talked to you since? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I see him all the time. Oh, okay. But I was never credited. So you wouldn't know that I you wouldn't know that I did it. Except for the Snark Monkey podcast. That's what that's what look, you yeah. know, this is what we do. We yeah. have revealed so many layers to Eric Schwartz. Yeah. Can you get Dane Cook in here? Make it happen. I could try. Make yeah. it happen. Uh, dude, this has been delightful. I, 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 I have to have you back because I feel like we're only scratching the surface. Oh, this is so much fun. But um, more than anything, I want to hear the result of if you survive, you know, if you don't come back with Ebola or hepatitis, one of the other letters that you didn't get <laughs> inoculated for. Um, I want to hear about India. I want to hear yeah. that story. I'll, I'll bring pictures. Unless I'll, they, bring you know, kind of crown you as like some sort of new emperor of comedy over there and they just don't let you come back man maybe i have to, i might have to move there it's possible i might do this has been great all right no, well now you have the beginnings of my life story if i should perish in india <laughs> that's right and everyone will know yeah <laughs> <laughs> no why would that happen you'll be fine no, i'll be fine i'll be back guys i'll be back all right get a monkey get a monkey Get a monkey! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.